2014. Happy New Year. It's 2014. I can't believe it. I haven't seen all of you in like a year. But no, seriously, I hope you had a wonderful celebration. It's time to kick off an amazing new year with Celebration Sunday. So you picked a great day to be here today. I do have an announcement for you, ladies. This is for you. Uh, we are going to start Bible studies again, January 16, just a little over a week. Super excited about the studies being offered. And in your bulletin today is an insert. And you'll find every bit of information you need about these studies. You can also go online if you want and read more about them if you want more details. But super excited about that. We are running Thursday mornings again, Thursday evening, and every other Saturday morning. So lots of options for you. I'll be out at a table for a little bit this morning and then, of course, next week. But you can also mail in your info and a check, and we'll get you all signed up for that. And if you are new this morning, I want to take this opportunity to just say good morning to you. If you could raise your hand, we have a packet of information for you. And in the back is a communication card. If you could just fill that out and place it in the offering plate. That just lets us know how we can serve you. And we are so glad you're here with us this morning. And it is a great day to worship the Lord, to celebrate all that is behind us, all that is ahead. So let's just worship the Lord now. Good morning, everybody. It is a celebration Sunday. It's my favorite Sundays. We do them a couple times a year, and I love these times to hear from uh, each other and to see people with milestone events in their lives. Uh, so what, we're, what are we celebrating? We're celebrating God's love. Amen? And the truth of his love. You know, we live uh, today in a very contentious age. You don't have to look very uh, far for an argument or a fight. Everybody, uh, even in politics and uh, religion, worldview, there's, you, everywhere people are ready to claim how they're right and, and stake out their ground and stick with it. I just read the other day that uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, you know that guy with the bow ties on TV? He's, uh, he's going to debate. He signed up for a big debate uh, at the Creation Institute in Kansas or Kentucky it is. And so uh, they're going to have this big debate about uh, creation versus uh, evolution. And he's a strong proponent, obviously, of uh, evolution and teaching evolution in schools and whatnot. And so there's all this social media drama. If you read, I can only stand it for about five minutes, but if you read all the comments, you know, that people are making about this thing that's coming up, it's like uh, the Super Bowl for uh, creation debates or whatever. And so they're, they're really, really interested and keenly interested in being right and winning the argument, Right? Like being right is the, is the grand prize. But God's prize and our calling is not being right. It's being in right relationship. And in right relationship, you have truth and love, right? When Jesus prayed for us, you know, he prayed for us directly. God intercedes for us all the time, but he prayed for us directly and is recorded in the Gospel of John in chapter 17. I encourage you to read that this week. Every month or couple months, it's really, really good to get your head straight with who we are today and what Jesus wants for us. He was, he was kind enough to tell us exactly what he wanted for us and what God's will was for us. So in John 17, he prays for us, and he, he talks about a truth and love. Starting in verse 15, he says, My prayer is not, this is Jesus praying to the Father for us. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And then later he says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, 
that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. We were reconciled to God, not because he is true or because he is right. He is right, but that is not what reconciled us to God. We were reconciled because he loved us. If we're to lead the world, we're not going to do it because we're right. And we're right. But we're going to do it because we love them. And more than that, because we love one another. And that's why I love Celebration Sundays. Because we hear through the singing, through the testimony, everything that you see today, you're going to see the thumbprint of God's love in our lives and the way it's changed us. Please be seated. If you are here to dedicate your family and your child to the Lord, please come forward at this time. A lot, oh, they moved back there. I thought they were all sitting over here. I'm gonna ask you folks to kind of line up here in the center facing the congregation so that they can all see you. These families are coming to dedicate their children to the Lord this morning. Clearly our Lord loves children. One of the passages I think of as we think of that is Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. Here's what it says. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and he blessed them, which is what we're going to do this morning. Could I have you guys bring the lights up just a little bit? I want them to be able to see the congregation. Let me introduce these folks to you. Brad and Megan Harness and Jackson Roy over here. Hold them up so we can know who they are. Good job. Dean and Angela Bauma and Aria Grace. So I guess if you're a boy, you get held up by dad. And <laughs> Steve and Marissa Castro, and they have Cassidy Leanne. Where's Cassidy? There she is. Carson Douglas. <laughs> and Cole David. All right. It is a privilege really to see parents dedicate their children and really their family to the Lord. In this, you as parents follow some great people before you, not only people that have done this in our congregation, but there are two very significant examples in the Old Testament and in the New. As has been said many times, Hannah and Elkanah dedicated Samuel to the Lord. And of course, Mary and Joseph dedicated little Jesus to the Lord. That's recorded in Luke chapter 2, 22. It says, when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. In presenting children to the Lord, these parents are not only dedicating their children, but they are really dedicating themselves. They are not only recognizing that their children belong to the Lord and come from the Lord, but also that 
they have a responsibility to honor the Lord in the raising of them. By bringing your children before God, which is what you're doing this morning, in a service of worship, we the church join you in praying for your home that God may encourage you and your child as you seek to raise your children in Christ's likeness. We also recognize our responsibility as a family of God to help in the raising of these children that they might grow in wisdom and stature even as our Lord Jesus did. Recognizing the responsibility of parenthood and of your dependence upon God for strength and wisdom to fulfill your duties as parents, and you do need strength and wisdom in this day and age, do you now present your children in dedication to God and promise to strive to teach, to set an example for them in partnership with your church, to train your children in love towards God and the, in the knowledge of our Son, of, of our Lord's, of God's Son, Jesus Christ? If so, say we do. Having dedicated your children to God, do you also promise to set apart your homes? to Christ and to always live to inspire Christ's likeness in your home and in the rearing of your children. If so, say we do. Finally, we the family of God recognize our responsibility to provide a loving biblical community that supports and prays for these families. Grace Community Church is dedicated to helping you it's not our responsibility to raise your children, but it is our responsibility to help you in the raising of your children. We take it as a responsibility not only to teach and to set an example as members of the Lord's church as much as we are able, but also to assist you in, in training your children in love towards God and in the knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you please stand, congregation? If that is true for you and you are dedicating yourselves to helping these children or these families please say we do your your child may not remember this this day probably most of them won't we would encourage you to talk about it often to them there is something very special about dedicating your children to the lord it says something very important not only to the lord but to all who are listening so we would encourage you to talk to your children about the, this day um, as often as you can to remind them that they belong to the Lord and that they have a responsibility to follow the Lord even in, in, in their own lives. Having heard these vows and sacred assurances as a pastor of Christ, it is now my great privilege to earnestly pray for you and to commend your children to the gracious keeping of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we commend these parents and their children to you with great joy and thanksgiving. We ask, Lord, that you will give strength and guidance to Brad and Megan as they raise up, train, nurture, and inspire Jackson, to Dean and Angela as they raise up, train, and nurture Aria, and to Steve and Marissa as they raise up, train, nurture and inspire Cassidy, Carson, and Cole. We pray, Lord, for Jackson, Aria, Cassidy, Carson, and Cole. And we ask that when the time comes, Lord, that they have the cognitive ability to understand who you are, that you would be gracious enough to call them to yourselves, that they would confess you as Lord and live for you and be saved from their sins. 
Lord, we dedicate these families to you and your care now, and we pray that you will use them to extend your kingdom in this world that is in such need of a Savior. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, and all of the Lord's people said, amen. God bless you all. Well, good morning again, and happy new year. It is the first Sunday of the new year. We're glad you're here. You know, this is, as we have said, this is Celebration Sunday. Um, if you're a visitor, this is a unique Celebration Sunday for us. We usually have baptisms on Celebration Sunday. It just so happened we didn't have any this time, which is not bad necessarily. We've just never had that happen before. And on Celebration Sunday, we share, you know, what we celebrate God and how He's working in people's lives. And usually, I just want to say a little something before I get started. Usually on Celebration Sundays, we have people share testimonies. We didn't have anybody to share a testimony today, so you're stuck with me. Uh, I'm going to share with you a little bit what, what our family has been working through. But I do want to tell you this. We, we love to have people share about how the Lord's working in their life, and we do that every Celebration Sunday. If you would like to share, I would encourage you, kind of write down some of your thoughts and email me because I'm the one that kind of organizes it, and we'd love to use you at a future Celebration Sunday. That would really help us. So if you have a desire to do that, don't be afraid to do it. It's a good thing to get up and share about how the Lord's working in your life. And talking with the staff, they asked me to share about what we're working through this time, this time in our lives. And so let me pray for us, and we'll get started. Well, Father, we, we pray that as I share a little bit about what you've been doing in our family's lives, I pray, Lord, that it would not only encourage all of us in our faith, but challenge us and help us to think. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have done some year-in-review things in the past. The staff thought that would ask me if I would do another year-in-review. You know, when you, whenever you come to the new year, you have a tendency to both think backwards and think forwards. So I'm going to take a moment and share with you some of the highlights of, the, of 2013 in our world. They may not all be highlights to you. There may be highlights that you will remember that I didn't, but um, let me just share a few of them with you to get us thinking. In 2013, always starts with the dropping of the ball. Look at that, it already did it to me. We started the year with controversy and end with the year of controversy. I'm not quite sure what's going on in the sports world, but it was so sad to hear what happened with Lance Armstrong and others, Aaron Hernandez and the New England Patriots. Baltimore Ravens won the Super Bowl. They won't this year. If you're a San Francisco 49er fan, I, that was probably a hard game for you, but it really was a good game. We had a unique thing happen this year. We, our Pope resigned, which is unusual, and, and then a new Pope, Pope Francis, was Confirmed with the white smoke. How can we forget the George Zimmerman, Trayvon Austin case? For me, the most bizarre thing of the year was uh, in sports was Oscar Pistorius. You might remember he was called the Blade Runner, and boy, we rooted for him in the, in the 2012 Olympics, and then just literally a few months later, he was on trial for murdering his girlfriend. It was, it was absolutely bizarre. Of course, we had the Academy Awards, they always love to tell you how good they are. <laughs> Tiger Woods returned to number one in the world if you're a golf fan. On my wife's birthday, I was 
awoke to this story, the Boston bombing, April 15th, tax day. Bill Gates was confirmed as the world's richest man. He has $72, million, $72 billion in change. My goodness gracious. And then he says, if you are born poor, it's not your mistake, but if you die poor, it's your mistake. Money, guys. What are you going to do with them? Absolutely stupid. <laughs> Did I just say that? <laughs> I'm going to hear about that this next week. You remember the Arizona wildfires, how sad that was? 19 firefighters killed. I found it interesting that in Arizona, prior to that one event, only 21 firefighters had been killed. That was a sad day. Miami Heat repeated, LeBron James, the greatest basketball player of all time. Miami Heat, the team everybody loves to hate. Obamacare, the NSA leaks, government shutdown was all over the news this year. You can obviously tell that I'm a, uh, I'm a sports fan. But Andy Murray, they finally had someone from Britain win the Wimbledon. How many years did we watch Tim Hinman get so close to lose? Finally, uh, a Brit won. It was a good year in England. We had the royal baby with William and Kate. Detroit declared bankruptcy. Boston Red Sox won the World Series. Come on, thing, work. Did you hear about the flooding in the Philippines? Thousands of people died in that. We probably would have heard more about it if it had happened in the U.S., but that was very sad. You probably didn't hear about this. This guy caught my eye. A Canadian man won $40 million in their lottery, and he donated it all to charity. It caught my eye because his, his wife had died the previous year of cancer, and so he donated in, in her name. And I think it's interesting, as I read about this picture, he doesn't look like a very happy guy. He did not want it to get into the media, but because of the rules of the lottery, he had to, he had to have like a press conference. They asked him if this was his normal look, and he said, yep, and that's all you're going to get. <laughs> he just didn't want to be up there. 2013 was deemed the year gay marriage won. And of course, how can I have that without Phil Robertson, who was suspended by A&E, and now I'm told they reinstated him. Uh, the Duck Dynasty um, product was taken out of Cracker Barrel, I read. Now it's been put back in. We are a fickle country, aren't we? We don't just don't know what we want. We had some deaths, famous deaths, some of these people you know. You probably won't know Gia Alimond. Um, I recognized her and read about her. Um, I've only watched the show once or twice, but she was one of the ladies on The Bachelor. And I remember she got kind of to the end, and she, she wasn't picked by the guy. I don't even remember who the guy was, but I remember thinking, boy, what a beautiful girl. And she was... I also thought she was troubled. She ended up taking her own life, hung herself. I thought, wow, people need the Lord, don't they? And of course, Nelson Mandela, 
probably the most famous death of this year, and maybe Paul Walker. In the Allen home, we have been about surgery this year. We started the year with knee surgery for me, wrist surgery, and of course Margie had a major surgery, which I'll share with you in a moment. It was a year that I got to, my wife gave me a trip to Alaska for our anniversary, got to go salmon and halibut fishing, got to ride in a float plane, um, saw some beautifully rugged country. It was weird being there for my anniversary without Margie, so I got to go with Don. Of course, I was mindful of my wife, so I purchased that ring in Alaska. I had wanted to purchase her something that is a, a ruby in diamonds, because ruby is um, the, the stone for the year that we were married, or for the um, number of years we were married. We were married in 1973, August the 17th. Yes, that is proof that I did have hair. Uh, a wonderful day. Um, got to marry the love of my life and still married to her. And a lot has gone on since that day. And today, these are some family pictures we took this year. It has been an incredible run, and of course, 2013 has taken a dramatic change in our home, which is what I'm here to share with you about. We did get to celebrate our anniversary together on, um, we went to the coast for a couple of days um, on August 15, 16, and 17. On August the 16th, which was the night before we came home, we were, we had dinner together at the coast for our anniversary. And uh, that night we had a nice dinner and Margie noticed something physically that let us know that she probably needed to go to the, to the doctor on August the 23rd, she saw her internist. By the way, I'm giving you some dates, not because I'm going to take a test, have you take a test on it or something, but just to show you how quickly this happened. On August the 23rd, she saw an in, her, her internist, and through tests, they found a mass in her uterus. On September 9th, we were referred to a gynecologist to biopsy the, the mass, and um, the results came in about a week later. It didn't surprise Margie and I, actually. Um, but the mass in her uterus was determined to be cancer. We were referred to a doctor in Redwood City, Dr. O'Hanlon, who likes to be called Kate. We are told that she's one of the best doctors for this, and she set a date for surgery for October 22nd. Some people thought that was really slow. We actually thought it was not that slow because there was a battery of tests that needed to happen. One test was Margie had to have a a mammogram, and on October the 14th, in anticipation of the surgery, Margie had a follow-up for one of those tests, for that mammogram test, and we were also found that she had a six-centimeter mass, which is rather large, in her breast, and it was rated as a five on a scale of zero to six. That meant the mass was 95%, had a 95% probability of being cancer. On October 18th, she had another um, follow-up meeting with the doctor to discuss treatment and that was the Friday that I was to leave to go speak at men's retreat and we had 
planned to have lunch together before I left, so we had lunch together. Of course, we were, I was anticipating as was she, what was going to happen, and um, we had lunch that day, and she told me that the doctor was concerned that they couldn't feel this mass, and Margie had not found it, that it was actually found through a mammogram, so the doctor did another test and said, there, there's no mass there. And so we chalked that up to a miracle. We didn't know what else to think it was, and I went to men's retreat and shared that with the folks there, and we still don't really have definitive um, results on that. They've actually since biopsied the area, and we're waiting for uh, the results to come back. On October 20th, that was Sunday, the end of retreat, we left that day to head, after I got back from retreat, we headed to Redwood City on October 21st. We met with our surgeon for the first time who did a physical exam and talked to us about the surgery Margie was gonna have, which was gonna be laparoscopic, they said. Um, she'd be in the hospital one night, we'd stay one night local and then come home the next day. After the physical examinations they did, um, the doctor left the room for something. When she came back in, she said, well, our plans have changed. You are still having surgery, but it's not going to be laparoscopic. Uh, the tumor is too large to remove laparoscopically. And they found cancer in other places. So what that meant was, was they were going to have to open up Margie surgically. Uh, she would spend four to six days in the hospital. Um, the surgery happened. They opened her up from her, just to give you an idea, from her belt line to right below her sternum. She had 55 staples. It was a cool looking thing. Um, that was on a Tuesday. And on Monday, October 28th, we were scheduled to leave after Margie would have another surgery to install a chemo port, which is up in her kind of shoulder area, and to remove the drain tubes. It was pretty dramatic is what I'm trying to tell you. By the way, up to this point, the doctors had told us that the surgery was um, successful. They had removed all the cancer. Um, she would have chemo and radiation to remove anything that might be um, um, kind of microscopic, um, but everything was, this is going to be healed. These family photos behind you were taken on, that you see are, were taken on November 2nd. That was after Margie's surgery and before chemo. She was a real trooper that day. She was very tired afterwards. Chemo started in mid-November, but Dr. Havardar, oncologist was concerned about some breathing issues that Margie was having, and so he ordered a CT scan because he was concerned about that. On November 26th, two days before Thanksgiving, we had another appointment with Dr. Havard and to get the results of that CT scan when he walked in the room. It must be tough being a cancer doctor. Um, I, I imagine they give out a lot of bad news. I really felt sorry for him that day, but you could tell the, the news wasn't that good, and he basically told us, well, I didn't basically, he told us that the uterine cancer had moved into the lungs and it is now neither operable nor curable, it's only treatable. And he talked a lot, he used a lot of terminology, he talked about if you have a bucket list, you better start taking care of that. He talked about having a will, he said this could be your last holiday together. Very difficult to hear that. And he was putting time frames on my wife's life. I must admit, I didn't know what I was hearing. And so I asked him, doctor, what do we tell our daughters? And he said, well, you tell them the truth. And I knew right off 
that I hadn't asked my question right, because of course we're going to tell them the truth. But I said, doctor, I don't understand what the truth is. Could you bottom line it for me? And he said, well, he said, if the chemo works like it's supposed to, and Margie was breathing better at this point, so he thought that the first treatment was working. If it works as it's supposed to, Margie could have as much as two to five years to live, probably not 10 years. But if it doesn't work, she could have as little as four to six months. That was very difficult. And of course, we shared that with our, with our girls, and we are now living that life. I'd like to share with you some of my thoughts, some of the thoughts of others. Um, my personal thoughts, as I can tell you, I don't like emotion. Those of you that know me probably know that. I've cried more in the last few months than I probably ever have in my own life, I mean in my whole life. And I can just tell you, strong emotion, it just makes me feel stupid. I know some of you will try to convince me that that's not true, you're not going to change my mind, still makes me feel stupid. And it, and it makes me, it wears you out, you know what I mean? It just, it just depletes you. I've tried to come to grips with it, you know, I, and I also, you know, every time I cry, I think people might misunderstand the crying for a lack of trust in the Lord, and we do really trust the Lord. It's not that at all. As I've tried to come to grips with it, though, deep down I have realized that strong emotion, especially when it involves the love of your life, is rooted in the fact that you love. And nobody who loves wants to see anybody else hurt. And so I've learned that it's a good thing, and there's nothing wrong with it, and it's just something you deal with. We've been asked a lot of questions. The, the most difficult question to answer, although I really appreciate, I know what people are trying to do, the most difficult question to answer is how are you doing? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to answer that question because you have nothing to compare it to. If you ask me, how's your racquetball game? I'd say, well, it's not very good right now because I have something to compare it to. But how do you, how do you, I mean, I don't really know how we're doing. I think we're doing okay. It is weird is the best way I can put it. It is weird to have someone put a time frame on the love of your life. It is weird to hear that. My wife, who I greatly respect as we've gone through this, said to someone, hey, would it be better to know when your time's up? Or would it, and, and honestly, we don't know what that is, but in other words, would you, would you rather have a time frame put on it or would you rather not know? And how would that change your life? I thought that was very insightful because it shouldn't change your life. I was reminded of Psalm 139, 14 to 16 when I heard her say that. It says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. It doesn't matter. We all have a certain amount of days to live as ordained by the Lord. So there's a time frame on all of us, and it should affect how we live is what we've been learning some thoughts of others that have been shared with us. The one I've heard the most is, it's not fair. We, Margie and I don't look at it that way. Um, you know, we've had the opportunity to love each other for over 40 years. 
I mean, how much would be enough? We think it's very fair, actually. Life isn't fair. You just take advantage of every day that you've got. We have, our children have given their lives to the Lord. We're so grateful for that, as have their husbands. We have grandchildren that actually like to be with us. We have a great church. We have people we love to serve alongside with. We respect our leaders. We respect our pastors, and we, and we love serving with them. We have much to be thankful for. There's, it's, to us, it's not unfair at all. Someone said, why Margie? She's like the nicest person on the planet. Well, I agree. But sin plays no favorites. It doesn't. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All need a Savior. There's a reality in this world that we know. We sometimes don't like it, but it's true. Good things happen to bad people, and bad things sometimes happen to good people. Psalm 37, I'll just read the first verse to you. says, Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. There's no reason for us to worry about why things happen. We just need to live our lives for the Lord. We need to trust Him in all of this, in everything that comes our way. And Margie and I are trying to do that. I've heard many people say, well, we're just going to pray for a miracle. Keep praying. We would love to have the cancer just be gone. But I want you to know we've already had a miracle in our lives. Because on September 1st, 1980, my wife and I both gave our lives to the Lord, and he saved us on that day. We do not fear death. We've had several people say, we don't want you to have regrets. And it was a, it was a really nice, I mean, that's a really nice gesture because what people are saying is they're saying, listen, if you need to be with your wife, you need to go be with her. Don't spend all your time at the church is basically what they're saying. And we appreciate that. We've heard the church is not more important than your wife. And you know, in one sense, there's truth to that because I'm called to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And so if she needs me, I will be there. But in another sense, it's really not true at all. None of us are more important than the Lord's church and his ministry. And so we're just going to keep on serving. Margie and I have some concerns that we are dealing with. One of those concerns is that, you know, Myself and my family were public figures just by, just by virtue of the position that I hold. More of you know me than I know you if, you, if, if you understand what I mean. And I really struggled with even being up here and sharing with you this morning because I don't want you to think that we think we're more important than anybody else in this church. I talked to the staff about it, and the staff said, Tim, just share your concern." People are loving you and reaching out to you because you're very involved. And the staff, and I agree with them, is saying this is why if you're not that involved, get involved because there's nothing better than having a great church behind you. And if they know about what you're struggling with, they will reach out to you. I pray that we reach out to others in our church as much as the church has reached out to, to us. I'm haunted, literally, haunted by the by the person I don't even know who that person is that suffers in silence and doesn't get ministered to because we don't know about them 
or because we forget about them. And I hope that will challenge you to, to reach out to, to everyone. Marge and I are more concerned for our daughters and our family than we are for ourselves because we think it's much harder on them than it is on us. I want you to know that if the Lord should choose to take my wife home before me, I'm okay with that. I just hope he does it carefully and tenderly because no one wants to see someone suffer. That's a concern of mine that I spend a lot of time praying about. We have hopes. I want you to know that we as, we as, as a family have chosen to live this trial out publicly. You may not believe this, but we are very private people, Margie and I. We are both introverts. You might not believe that, but it is very true. But we have, we have made a conscious effort to live our trial out in front of people and we have tried to honor the Lord in it for this reason. The Bible says that we are to encourage one another. We are, look, we are to look for ways to spur one another on. Well, that's a two-way street. Not only are we to look to encourage others, we've got to let other people go know what we're going through so that they can encourage us. We are told to love one another. We are told that by this all men will know that we are, to, are his disciples if we love one another. Well, that's a two-way street too. We have to love others, but we've got to make ourselves open to others so that they can love us in return. And that's what we're trying to do. I can tell you, we as a couple, our hope is that our, however long the Lord chooses to give us together, our hope is that it's not that our time together in the end is not defined by cancer. We hope that our marriage is defined and our lives are defined by the Lord. We've tried to honor the Lord. We don't know what 2014 will bring, but we are, we, are going, we are going to try to live our lives for the Lord no matter what it brings. And finally, I'd like to leave you with some thoughts from my wife, what she wrote down. I'm just so proud of her. Here's what she says. This, Ill this illness is not something I'd envisioned for myself, but as I have for over 33 years, I put my trust in the Lord and the plans he has for me. Here is a text message she wrote. I wrote that she Here's a text message that she wrote in response to a non-believing friend right before her surgery on in October. Here's what she writes. I know God has a plan for all of this and I'm okay with the outcome. If the surgery is successful, I'm obviously good with that. And if this is a terminal illness, I'm also okay with that. There is a bigger picture here than just me. I'm just going to trust what God has planned for me. She goes on to write, And I believe God has allowed me glimpses of his plan. I've seen non-believing loved ones finally open to hearing about the Lord and even profess to feeling the Lord is speaking to them. How can you not be okay with an illness that could cause someone to come to know the Lord. And to you, my church, my church family, my very special friends, you are my Barnabas, my encourager in this journey. <sighs> Through your words and acts of encouragement, you've strengthened me to keep my focus on God and to trust him. The Bible verses you've shared that have strengthened you have strengthened me also and renewed my sometimes waning spirit.
Thank you for walking this journey with me. I love you dearly, Margie Allen. We aren't sure about 2014, 15, or however many years we should have, but we, and I hope you, are going to trust the Lord no matter what should come your way. God bless you. Thank you.